what, what's interesting is you look in the mirror and you're looking at the biggest challenge. Okay? You look in the mirror and we all have our strengths and weaknesses. Your performance in, in a business, in, in a franchise, whatever you're doing, that, that performance is going to be a direct re reflection of what you're looking at. All the good, bad, and the ugly. I believe it takes a while to understand that. Um, you can, you can blame it on the industry, blame it on the economy, uh, blame it on your franchise or let's say, or blame it on the co competition in the market. But when, when you really look inside and you look at who you are as a person and what your, what your objectives are, and if you're internally, uh, focused person, more of a taker, or if you're an externally focused person, more of a giver, if, if, if you happen to be the latter, you're lucky because you can do that, but it's great if you're naturally that way. But if you harness that and you end up trusting person after person, you get burned and burned and burned and you persevere till you're finally surrounded with like-minded people, then you've really got a shot at happening. Over the last 20 years, one of the questions I'm frequently asked is, Eric, what's the hot concept in franchising? And I have to say, one of the concepts, or at least one of the industries that keeps popping up on my radar is the senior care space. Many people don't realize that senior care businesses can even be franchised, and yet there are dozens of successful franchise companies delivering in-home services to seniors every day. The industry has been steadily growing over the last couple of decades, and with our population getting older, the senior care industry is showing no signs of slowing down anytime soon. I had the pleasure of spending some time today with Les De La Fice, who's a multi-unit franchise owner with a company called Visiting Angels, one of the leading senior care franchise brands. Les is based in Wheeling, West Virginia, and his career has spanned sales, commercial marketing, capital markets, civic service, you name it. He's a true entrepreneur and leader, and Les has built his franchise business into a large multi-million dollar enterprise. I think you'll really enjoy his story today and learn more about his path to success in franchising. So Les, Many of our listeners may not be familiar with uh, the Visiting Angels brand. I wondered if you could just tell us a little bit about the franchise and, and what you guys do exactly. Visiting Angels was founded um, 21 years ago by Larry Miggs and Jeffrey Johnson. Larry is the CEO. Jeffrey is uh, pleasantly retired. Larry is, I believe, one of the best CEOs in the country. He's built a, uh, a nationwide system of over 600 franchises. Um, number one, number two brand usually with the franchise review survey, which I personally really enjoy doing. And um, it's, it's, Larry's, it's Larry's culture he's developed that makes it so attractive for the franchisees. Um, when you're in non-medical home care, private pay non-medical home care, you're serving individuals, uh, consumer pay non-medical home care. So, um, you know, Larry's drawn franchisees that are like-minded in terms of not only wanting a business opportunity, but enjoy serving people. Yeah, that's awesome. And, you know, and just to be clear, I guess, because, uh, you know, a lot of people think of the senior care business as, mm -hmm. you know, I think they think of more medical related um, services. So 
you know, you guys are, are providing all sorts of things that are really non-medical, correct? Yeah, Eric, we're, we're, we're really like the family members that can't be there. Okay, so doctor in Chicago, daughter in Charlotte, family lives in Pittsburgh. We go in, cook a meal, companionship, medication reminders. We can drive the client in their car, shopping, appointments. Um, the companionship is huge. Uh, it, it, it's a major factor there. So we really are the family member that can't be there. Anywhere from four hours up, we've got clients that are 24-7 because they want to stay in that fantastic family uh, homestead that has been in their family forever. Right, right. So just to talk a little bit about you, and uh, you're, you're based in Wheeling, West Virginia, which for folks that um, aren't familiar with West Virginia, that's that kind of like tiny little part of West Virginia that sticks up in between Ohio and Pennsylvania out near the Pittsburgh area, correct? Absolutely. We're about an hour from Pittsburgh, and you get um, – uh, it's really interesting because you get the Western PA influence, a little bit of Midwestern influence from Ohio. Um, you go 30 miles south, we have a Charleston, West Virginia office, and you may as well be in Nashville. It's, it's, so, it's so different. Right, right. You, you're probably crossing state lines constantly in your work. <laughs> Yeah, we do. We do. We'll, we'll cover northern West Virginia, eastern Ohio, western Pennsylvania. When you get down to the southern part of the state, we cover uh, an area from Charleston, West Virginia, west to Huntington, which is on the Ohio border. So it's, it's a, I'm a native West Virginian, and it was a dream to come back to the area years ago and eventually become a franchisee. Right, right. Well, that's a great lead into my next question. So I, I know you went to school in West Virginia. Tell us a little bit about, you know, get graduating from school out there and, and kind of your early career and, and then how that led into finding ultimately uh, a path in uh, visiting Angel system. Sure. I got very fortunate coming out of a little state in West Virginia during the 70s when really high inflation, severe recession I really lucked into getting a sales job with Continental Can, old Continental Can, which was sort of a like the IBM of packaging. So I was in Chicago with a terrific boss, uh, transferred to Dallas with a boss that was the, the guy that got you ready to become a regional manager. And yeah, after a while, I realized I really didn't want his job or his boss's job. So I ended up going to West Texas to manage a wholesale paper distributor, Stanley Mayfield. He has a tremendous company there now, but I was a I was in my early 20s, like getting an MBA uh, at this at this small regional family business. And as it turned out, um, ended up going to work for a local bank in West Texas after there were some family issues, a non-family member working in the business. We've all had that. And it was a discipline for Stanley, but, you know, we all moved on. And uh, I ended up at a, in an oil, a hot oil bank in West Texas in, in the early 80s. And I saw... Um, I saw guys my age with a black bull's voice and a helicopter and three drilling rigs and a controller, and I would look at each other and say, what are we doing wrong? But it all came <laughs> yeah. crashing down. It was astounding. So it all came crashing down when oil, when inflation started to get broken, when Volcker, you know, raised rates. So uh, I had looked out a, a, a broker from Donaldson, Wilson, Jen Rett, would call once in a while and say, Les, how's it going out there? Do you guys want to do any hedging? Big Wall Street firm. I said, you don't understand. They want 90-day money to lend out on drilling rigs. So it's, it's an asset mismatch 
of the greatest proportion. So after everything crashed and burned, uh, I get a job offer for Donaldson Lufkin Jenner in Dallas, um, get hired on the spot. So I became an institutional government bond salesperson, uh, did that with DLJ. Uh, DLJ is a big equity firm. So when we saw a lack of support, I went to Houston uh, with E.F. Hutton, where I had a, a tremendous career working with a, a great guy down there. There were he and I, and then there were two guys doing junk bonds at the time. And, and I'll tell you, from, from a humble background in West Virginia, we, we really uh, did a lot of business. And then at that point, I asked if I could uh, transfer to New York City. Some guys from Citicorp had come over to running E.F. Hutton. So they said, sure. So I went to New York, moved my family back to West Virginia, commuted all of 86, uh, all of 87 from um, the Pittsburgh area to Wall Street. And after Shearson Lehman bought Hutton, I said, time to pack up and go home. So after going home, I uh, tried to bond, trading bond futures for two years, did not take enough risk. And then I got lucky to, to uh, get a job uh, at a home medical equipment company, got me in healthcare. So I went from being a Wall Streeter to getting kids new pediatric wheelchairs, which could not be more diverse. Um, that totally hooked on that. And about four years later, Jim Lykin, a tremendous entrepreneur in Western PA, he decided to get out of that part of the business, do more home oxygen business. He sold his business to Lincare, the giant. So I started my own company, age uh, 41, uh, in a basement. It turned out to be uh, a regional home medical equipment provider like Jim had built, not quite as big. So along the line, about 14 years in, I knew that massive cuts were coming for home, home oxygen therapy, sleep therapy. So in Entrepreneur Magazine, I saw Visiting Angels. And that just really appealed to me. I didn't know what synergies there would be. So I bought the first franchise in 2009. And then the next five years, I kept buying franchises based on the credit capacity I had with my former company. Sold that company to Lincare in 2014 and have been a Visiting Angels franchisee for 10 years now. Wow. That's quite a story and quite a path. And, you know, it, it's not unlike, I think, a lot of franchisees that, you know, don't necessarily have a, you know, clear, straight path into franchise ownership. It's it's more, uh, I guess, diverse uh, like yours. You know, I imagine that that background in, you know, finance and sales and business, um, you know, really helps you in your business today. It, it undoubtedly, um, I started out with a sales career <clears throat> and, uh, it, it really did because I look at our business. Uh, so in this industry, you've got caregivers, hourly wage caregivers. They do the heavy lifting. They do the job. You build a leadership team to hire and motivate caregivers. You hire account executives and, uh, it, it really did prepare me for this career. Yeah. And, and, you know, I guess break that down a little bit for us. So, I mean, you're, you're a multi-territory uh, franchisee. You've got seven offices, correct? Yeah. It's, it's seven franchises grouped into three LLCs. So I can have equity. I can grant equity to, to keep people. Great. Great. And, you know, and so I think a lot of people when they first maybe look at opportunities in senior care, think, oh, you know, I, I'm, I'm not really passionate about caring for, for people. And, you know, they, they see the services that you're providing and not necessarily looking at it from the business owner perspective. And 
and I'm imagining, you know, you have built a very large team with multiple offices and many managers and support staff. And, um, you know, you're, you're obviously not in the business day to day providing care to, to many seniors yourself. Yeah, that's the thing because when I was when I was with Lycan Home Medical, the regional home ox, uh, home oxygen company that did the pediatric rehab, I was in the schools, on the floor, helping a family get a new wheelchair for their child. It was it was incredible, and and I knew, like you said, when when I went into home oxygen and the co- that company grew, you get further away from the customer. So all of my coworkers. All 250 caregivers, leadership team members, they're my customers every day. And what's interesting is I feel like I spent the first 19 years of my career in the home oxygen business, the sleep therapy, pharmacy business, and overlapped, you know, the, the last five of that with our 10 years in Disney Angels. So you, you see, I feel like I, I made so many mistakes with the first company. The biggest mistake is too nice and trusting when you're encountering toxic people uh, making very good livings, uh, leadership team members. So uh, I, I was able to carry some of those lessons over to Visiting Angels, where in, in our five offices, that three are staff, the other two are satellites. We, for example, for, for uh, 15 team members, uh, actually 16 plus me, um, it took us in 10 years hiring approximately 70 people to get to 15, okay? Firing slow, firing fast. Yeah, because I knew that um, it it is a direct relationship. When, if you're tolerating a single person on the team that's toxic, whatever you want to call that, it is going to hold you back. It's going to really be a wet blanket on your company. So I learned the hard way. You know, we we grew quickly, 9, 10, 11, 12. had a bit of a lull with needing more management uh, firepower, more leadership. So then in 15, we, we really started to find the right people in the right places um, in 15 through 19. And that's where the, the revenue curve went right back up again. What What do you think, you know, for somebody just starting out, um, you know, when 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 they look at someone like yourself, who's obviously been very successful, you know, it, it, that that took you as you describe. I mean, it took took many years to kind of build that, and you know, and that's obviously the best part of buying into a franchise system is you don't have to figure it all out yourself. So, can you talk a little bit about that? You know, first year or two when you got in and were just kind of learning the ropes and how Visiting Angels, you know, supported you through that process. Yeah, that, that's interesting because I really realized that if I would have somehow been directed to the franchise industry earlier on, it's not like I regret what I've done, but it, it is an unbelievable when there's a, a national brand with a system, with tremendous support. And the key thing when you become a franchisee, especially, you know, the, the great brands like Visiting Angels, is there so many other franchisees that you can commiserate with? You go to the conferences, you talk to them, you have a drink at the bar, ask them questions. You, you, if, you, if you're an independent practitioner of anything, no, nobody's going to tell you anything. Your competitors aren't going to tell you anything. 
and, and you're in that silo. But when you're right. a franchisee in any industry, I'm sure, that's what's unbelievable is the, the resources you have talking to people in the same boat. They're either starting out, they're, you know, you're not at their level, or, or they're, they're always someone more successful. So I would really recommend if, if someone found an industry that they like, look up the, the top brand in that industry and, and try to get a territory that is available. And, and do the best you can to get the industry you want, the territory you want, um, and, and apply just good business practices, uh, with the support of your, uh, your peers and, and you can be successful. Yeah. I love that point about the, you know, the franchise community. And, and we often tell people that, you know, that's kind of the greatest asset of any franchise company that you're investing in is that, you know, your fellow franchisees and the culture of the company and, and every company is a little bit different. When when you were first looking at visiting angels, I mean, did you do a lot of due diligence to, to really look at the company that hard? And did you explore, you know, the relationship with the franchisees or were you just kind of, hey, let's go, this looks good. And <laughs> I know you had other businesses I'm, I'm to do so, on the side. So. I'm, I'm somewhere I'm somewhere in between because that's a, that's a great I'm somewhere in between because I saw Entrepreneur Magazine, the Read Everything on the Sun, and so I contacted several franchisor of, uh, and franchisors of non-medical home care. So, you know, one brand, you get a, a prospective franchise agreement that's an inch thick, and and another one, you get a cover letter of all these other franchises they've started that you've never heard of, but they also are non-medical. Then you get visiting angels, you know. It's it's a it's a you could tell thought went into the document. It was sleek, it was concise, it was to the point. So I went to a, a, a um, uh, open house, Columbus, Ohio. Drive over, you start meeting the staff, and you see the magic that Larry created. And it's it's it, game on. It's it, it was just game on. So what's been the I guess the hardest part. Um, you know, there, there's no silver bullet in franchising. And I think a lot of people come to franchising thinking that it's, you know, uh, I don't have the, the time and the resources or the energy to start my own business. So I'll buy this franchise thing because <laughs> it's so much easier. Um, mm -hmm. And the reality is, you know, it's a lot of work. I mean, any owning any business is a lot of work. Um, you know, what have been kind of your biggest challenges along the way? Yeah, what, what's interesting is you look in the mirror and you're looking at the biggest challenge, okay? You look in the mirror and we all have our strengths and weaknesses. Your performance in, in a business, in, in a franchise, whatever you're doing, that, that performance is going to be a direct re reflection of what you're looking at, all the good, bad, and the ugly, okay? So it takes a while to, it, I believe it takes a while to understand that. Um, you can, you can blame it on the industry, blame it on the economy, uh, blame it on your franchise or let's say, or blame it on the co competition in the market. But when you really look inside and you look at who you are as a person and what your, what your objectives are, and if you're an internally, uh, focused person, more of a taker, or if you're an externally focused person, more of a giver, if, if, if you happen to be the latter, you're lucky. 
because you can do that, but it's great if you're naturally that way. But if you harness that and you end up trusting person after person, you get burned and burned and burned and you persevere till you're finally surrounded with like-minded people, then you've really got a shot at happiness. So what do you think, I mean, um, you know, visiting angels, as you mentioned, is on the top of our awards list for franchisee satisfaction. Um, we've, you know, we've surveyed the franchise owners many, many years and, and satisfaction is off the charts. What, what do you think it is that's unique about visiting angels um, that, you know, really puts them in that, you know, not, not franchising not easy. <laughs> and, and I think there's a lot of franchise companies that have come and gone, um, you know, doing it right. I guess you can, you can kind of map it out and it looks so simple, but obviously, you know, it, it, it's not. And so what do you think has been the secret to visiting angels? And I guess, you know, on top of that, what advice would you have for candidates looking at, you know, whether it's visiting angels or other franchise systems, what should they be looking for? Yeah. Well, the, the company was founded. Jeffrey Johnson, who's retired, was a psych social worker in Boston or Baltimore. And, and here by, by just by nature, you, you've got a, a person's going to, going to heaven, right? Helping people. And he found he could not find good home care companies. And he built one up. He was going to sell it. Larry comes from the business background, the franchise background. So they teamed up, right? Jeffrey is happily retired in Connecticut. What, what I find is astounding is, if I can put it into words, Larry really lets the franchisees be franchisees. They, he lets them be individuals. He lets them run their business the, the best that they know how with a, a really minimum set of you must do. Call your leads back within 15 minutes. You know, answer the phone. I mean, it, it, it's such a simple set of rules that people that have come into this and, and they've realized uh, the kind of leadership they have versus the heavy-handed buy from the supplier, you must have this system, you, you know, franchising, where the franchisors will say, here's your vendors, period, right, Eric? Right, right. Okay. Well, Larry is, choose your software system, choose the way you want to do things. We're here to help. It, 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 Jim Collins has the five levels of leadership, right? And, and you don't see it very often, but the fifth level is humility. Okay? So, like-minded people that have joined Visiting Angels that get in the area and see what he's about and see where his heart is and, and see what can be accomplished, that, that's the culture of Visiting Angels. I, in, in June, I took three weeks off. I was out west for three weeks. I roll up to the annual conference in Nashville, walked right up to Larry. I said, well, I've been off for three weeks. I made up my mind. I'm never selling this business. He said, I'm glad to hear that. I said, by the same token, most of the non-medical home care companies have sold to private equity, which changes culture. And Larry had a response that was pretty much over my dead body. They can do what they want to when I'm gone. So, you know, when, when you see that continuity, when you see the ability to be yourself, um, take care of the customer, call people back with the freedom that you want to do it without that heavy hand, who... Who wants that heavy hand? People leave corporations, big institutions to come into franchising to be their own business person. He gets it. 
You can be your own person. I think that's great advice. And I think, you know, to your point, I mean, I think that is rare in many franchise organizations to have that kind of freedom. Um, you know, I, I think that, you know, we're coming into the holidays. Um, January is always a big time of self-reflection for people. And there's a lot of people that are going to be looking at, you know, starting their own business in 2020. You know, what advice do you have for somebody that, you know, may be on the fence? I mean, you, I, I think your <laughs> point earlier about, you know, looking in the mirror uh, is great advice. Um, you know, what advice do you have for somebody that just, you know, maybe just needs that little bit more incentive to, uh, you know, to, to stop what they're doing and go into uh, a franchise business? Okay, once you've, once you've looked at your strength and what you enjoy, and you've looked at an industry, and you looked at the brands in the industry, call up, go about three hours from where you're at, and look up and start calling franchises. Call 345. The first one I call, Susan Heinle in York, PA. She, she's incredible. Uh, she started in 2001. And had she was the first one in town that she has 22 competitors. She's got a monster business. Call call the franchisees that are that have been with that franchisor for a while and get get to know them a little bit. See what they think about their franchise or their industry, the competition. And what what you have to do is knowing yourself. Some of us are risk takers. Some of us are not. Um, it doesn't mean it's an off on switch. But if you're way risk averse, this is going to be more difficult. If, if you're in the middle, there, there's a shot for you to take that risk, um, do some good financial planning, make sure you've got the operating, you know, the working capital to get through the first, you know, three, six, nine months, year of, of lean revenues while you're building the business. That, that's the, I think that's the best shot you have. So Les, um, you know, you've obviously grown a successful business and have gotten to a point where you've, you know, probably have a little bit more flexibility. Tell us a little bit about, um, I know I know you do some work with your alma mater. Um, tell us a little bit about what you do outside of your business and, and giving back. Yeah. Uh, um, um, what, what's interesting about that is I was thinking about our call. One thing we started uh, Three or four years ago, it was, it was sort of an outgrowth of my prior company, but we formalized it. So we have a, let's say, 16, 17 person leadership team. Every week, the GM, who's now COO, we spend a half an hour face to face with each leadership team member. Okay. They walk in, slide the agenda across the table. They talk uninterrupted for about 10, 15 minutes. We're scribbling notes. Yeah, the GM, COO responds, I respond. All of our ideas bubble up from that, okay? So we've gotten to the point where I do those half a day um, wheeling Charleston, Pittsburgh. And it's a little unsettling because I'm looking at 2020 and we want to put more control in the hands of our directors, COO, 100% control. So. I was very active in alma mater, um, had a thrill of a lifetime to do commencement speech. Uh, appointed the Board of Governors. I, I, I led the committee to hire a new president. I was the chair. And 
what's interesting is I was a Wall Streeter, so I'm going back to studying macroeconomics very deeply. I'm studying the Great Depression very deeply. I love the business cycles. So, Eric, I I have to stay out of the hair of other people. I have to let them do what they're doing. And I don't want to start any other businesses. So I'm at that crossroads where I'm I'm letting go, but I still have those one-to-ones. We we have we we have one four-hour meeting a month with the whole team. We have zero meetings other than that. We have a half hour call on Monday, we have half hour with each person once a week, zero meetings. It all gets through that. It all gets done through that pipeline. So, pers- based on your question, I'm still looking for w- what am I going to fill that time up with? Because you never stop thinking about your business. And and I told everybody in 20 for 2020, we're going to stop pushing initiatives through the pipeline at a frantic pace because we're where we we're where we need to be. Let's execute and and we'll pull back a little bit along on the lightning fast change will slow down to normal rate of change to grow this business. Right. Yeah, I guess, uh, you know, fishing, hunting are out of the question. <laughs> it really is. I mean, you know, um, <laughs> it's funny. If you, if you grow up working since you're 14, I'm 66. You grew up working since you're 14. It's not going to stop. I mean, when you look at, you look at our industry, your listeners out there, um, you look at this and go, I'm too late in that industry. Well, guess what? No, you're not. Because the boomers, our clients are 80 and above. We haven't even gotten in. We've barely gotten into the first of the boomers. So the next 5, 10, 15 years are going to be super exciting in this business. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's been, uh, it's been great chatting with you and, you know, uh, so much, uh, it's so interesting to see how you've grown, uh, you know, the business um, into such a substantial business, and you know, and and yet you're still optimistic, obviously, about how much more it's going to grow in the coming years, which is great to hear as well. So, Les, I uh, you know really appreciate you taking some time and uh, chatting with us today. Well, and I want to congratulate you, Franchise Business Review 2005 leader in the industry. I love the surveys. I'll, Thank you for what you do for our industry, Eric. Yeah, well, thank you. I appreciate that. And uh, yeah, it's been it's been fun. And uh, you know, franchising I think has gotten gotten better certainly in the last fifteen years. And I'm looking forward to the next fifteen as well. So I wish you the thank best you. of success. Same, Eric. Bye bye. Bye. That's it for today's show. If you have any franchise-related questions, simply drop us an email at info at franchisebusinessreview.com. You can also follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, or tweet us at Franchise Review. Special thanks this week to Will Zimmerman for production help. I'm Eric Stites, and you've been listening to Franchising and Review. See you next time.